Well, hello, everybody. It's so good to see all of you. My name is Chris Ward. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And if you brought your Bibles, you can grab them right now and turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13 is where we are today. And as you turn there, uh, just one brief word of update. A few of you have been asking how my wife has been doing, so I want to give you an update. And she is doing fantastic. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we had our six-month checkup, and everything was clear. Praise God. So it's really, really good. So she's doing really well. So thank you for your prayers. Uh, we uh, have another surgery scheduled in June just to finish all sort of the reconstruction stuff, but she's doing awesome. So thank you so much for praying for us and encourage, encouraging us along this particular journey. Romans chapter 13 is where we find ourselves today as we get ready uh, to look at this passage. I actually want to read this whole passage up front. We're going to have the words on the screen, and then we'll pray, and then we'll see what God has for us. Paul is writing here, and this is what he says, Romans 13.1. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against whatever God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Verse 6, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servant, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And we'll stop right there. Uh, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer, because I am going to need it today, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, just the chance we have to study your word, God. We thank you you have given it to us. We thank you that it touches so many subjects, God, that are so applicable uh, in our day and age, Father, even though it was written thousands of years ago. And Lord, as we come to this subject today, which is a very important one and also um, one that is uh, a little bit controversial these days, God, I just pray that you would uh, allow your truth to shine through here this evening, God. I pray my words would be yours and I pray that you would give us a better understanding of this world, how it works, and our responsibility towards it. And so we just thank you in advance for what you're going to do and we give this time over to you. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, as you can probably tell from the passage I just read, we do not at all have a relevant or timely topic that we are going to be taking a look at today. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Some of you will, will come and tell me that, and you will say that it seems like between Matthew and I, I tend to get the more difficult passages in Scripture. I actually don't believe that. I think it's pretty even. This week, however, I will agree that I have been given a little bit of a thorny topic to talk on. But I want to let you know that in all seriousness, I am okay with that. And indeed, I have been looking forward to talking about this particular subject for a very long time. And that is because it strikes me that the topic that we are looking at today, which is ultimately the topic of God and government, the, the topic of Christianity and the political realm, never before has this topic been more important than it is right now. And that's because, quite honestly, never before has this topic been more heated than it is right now. In fact, according to a lot of the Christian voices that I listen to, they have made the observation that the number one issue that is dividing Christians and churches these days, it's not doctrine, it's politics. 
And I would say, anecdotally, I have seen that to be the case. In fact, it's been a really long time since I have received an email from a visitor to our church asking where we stand on a doctrinal issue. Regularly, however, I receive emails from people to our, visitors to our church asking where we stand on a political issue. And I want to make it clear here today that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, as, as people who take the Bible to be the word of God, one of the things that we believe the Bible teaches us is we believe the Bible teaches us that our whole lives need to be lived in a way that honors God. And living our whole lives in a way that honors God, it touches upon more than just our beliefs about the Trinity and the nature of Jesus' sacrificial death. It also touches on beliefs about those issues that these days are at the front of the political realm. Said another way, uh, topics like abortion and sex and sexuality and race, just to name a few. These are not just political issues to us Christians, as much as the world out there might want to make them just political issues. No, to us Christians, these are also theological issues. They are also doctrinal issues. And I do find that a lot of Christians these days, they are understanding that. Uh, one of the things I have found and many of the Christians I have talked to about this subject we're looking at today is there is a deep burden. And I believe that burden is placed there by the Holy Spirit. But there is a burden to care deeply about what is going on in the political realm and to be uh, care deeply about and even to be concerned about some of what we are seeing these days. And if I can say it, brothers and sisters, I think part of this concern and part of this burden is as a result of, of this extraordinary season that we have just come out of. You know, for better or for worse, I think ultimately for better, but for better or for worse, I think COVID was a very eye-opening experience for many of us Christians. Uh, putting aside today the conversation about whether it was justified or not, what we have seen in the last several years is we have seen our government flex its power in a way that we never have before, at least in my lifetime. And this flexing of power from our government, it has had a direct effect on us Christians. For the first time in my lifetime, we, have, we had laws telling us that we could literally not gather together as God's people. And again, whether or not those laws were, were justified, I think the season that we have come out of has left an indelible mark on many Christians. It seems clear to me that we have seen in the last couple of years a side of our government that we have never seen before. And that we have perhaps traveled into some new territory. But while I find that a lot of Christians these days are agreed on the fact that there is a rapid changing political environment around us. Where I find there is a lot of disagreement these days is on how exactly to respond to this changing political environment. And that's why I really believe that one of the most important questions for us Christians in this day and age is as people who seek to honor God in everything that we do, how do we honor God even in how we respond to our rapidly changing political environment? And how do we honor God in how we respond to those in positions of governmental authority over us? Especially when it seems like so many of them see the world differently than us and at times, it seems, even want to use their influence to get us to see things their way. Said another way, a little bit more succinctly, I think one of the most important questions for us Christians in this day and age is what is the relationship that God desires us as people to have with our government and those in authority over us? How are we supposed to think about all of this? 
Well, that is exactly what our passage in Romans chapter 13 gives us the opportunity to talk about. The passage that we are looking at today is, in all seriousness, a very timely passage for our day and age. And that is because the first seven verses of Romans 13 that I read just a minute ago, this is the longest sustained treatment we have in our Bible on the subject of God and government and our response to it. And so it is a very relevant passage for us today. But that being said, this passage in Romans 13 is not all that the Bible says on this particular subject. And that's what leads to the unique way that I want to approach this message here today. As I was thinking about how to teach this particular message today, I decided I wanted to do it a little bit differently than how I would normally do it. Because I believe this topic is so important and because I believe there are so many disagreements out there these days about this particular subject, rather than work through this passage verse by verse, which is what I normally would be prone to do, Instead, what I want to do today is I almost want to take a step back and, and I kind of want to give what may amount to sort of a theological summary on what the Bible tells us about this subject. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to organize my talk around four biblical truths that the whole Bible, not just Romans 13, but that the whole Bible teaches us on this topic. Now, as you will see in this, these four truths, I will cover every verse in Romans chapter 13 that we're looking at today. But I just think it's important to, to deal with this subject in a little bit more of a systematic way in order to provide what I hope is additional clarity on it. So I say all that to say, just to warn you about a couple of things up front, first of all, and you may be already able to tell, but today it may feel at times like we're in a seminary classroom as opposed to a church service. But that's okay because I know all of you can take it, okay? And then the second thing I want to warn you is that this message so far clocks in at about four and a half hours. So I have instructed our ushers to lock the doors right now. I'm just kidding. No, we, we will come in basically in time. But I am going to throw a lot at you today. And that's why I want to let you know by Monday, we're going to put a PDF of my notes here today online with all the scripture references that I'm going to use. So if you want to just sit back and listen and not take notes, you can do that and then you'll have access to all of this afterwards. But what exactly does the Bible say about God and government and our response as Christians to it? Well, as I said, I'm going to unfold four truths for you. They'll unfold one at a time. The first one is this. We'll put these truths on the back screen. And this one itself is bound to raise some eyebrows. But this is the first truth. According to the Bible, government is both an institution ordained by God and an institution susceptible to sinful and even demonic influences. Let me read that again. According to the Bible, government is both an institution ordained by God and an institution susceptible to sinful and even demonic influences. And as you can tell by that first truth, you need to hang on to your hats and glasses because we are in for a bit of a wild ride. But what exactly do I mean by that first truth? Well, let me explain. You know, one of the things that I have observed in talking to Christians about this particular subject is I have found that there is within Christians this tension that many of us feel. And what I mean by that is on the one hand, I have seen within many of the Christians I talk to, there is this desire to be a good citizen. There's this desire to obey our government. There is this desire to honor even those in power over us that disagree with us. And that is absolutely a desire that many people have. But at the same time, within these very same Christians, I also see another awareness. And that awareness is awareness that we can't always, and indeed we shouldn't always, do everything that our government asks us to do. 
And so on one hand, we feel this desire to honor our government, and yet on the other hand, as Christians, we feel this desire to be suspicious of our government. So where exactly does this tension come from? Well, believe it or not, this tension comes from the very pages of Scripture itself. Because on the one hand, the Bible is very clear on this, especially our passage in Romans 13. Brothers and sisters, do you know who came up with the idea of government in the first place? And do you know who all the governments of this earth, do you know who they ultimately get their power and authority from? Well, the Bible is clear on this. It all comes from God. Paul makes this point especially in the first couple of verses of Romans 13. Pick it up with me here in verse 1. Here Paul talks about how it's none other than God himself who establishes government. Romans 13, 1 and 2, Paul writes this. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And we'll stop right there. And what I want you to observe about those two verses is no less than three separate times in those two verses does Paul tell us that government comes from God. You see it, for example, in the middle of verse 1, Paul says that there is no authority except that which God has established. You see it at the end of verse 1, Paul says that the authorities that exist have been established by God. And then you see it in the middle of verse 2 when Paul says that whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And what Paul is saying there is very, very strong. What Paul is saying here, men and women, is that behind every government of this earth, in some way, sits God. It's God who came up with the idea of government, and it's God who gives the governments of this earth their power. And so that is a very high view of government that Paul gives us. And by the way, that high view of government doesn't stop there. Probably the most startling discovery in my study of this passage over the past couple of weeks is the language that Paul uses to refer to those who work in government. In our day and age, our president, our senators, our civil servants, and so on. And do you know how Paul refers to those who work in government? Well, three times in this passage, he refers to them literally as the servants of God. He calls them God's servants. You see that twice in verse 4 and once in verse 6. And the Greek words that are translated servant there are the same Greek words that are used to describe priests in the Old Testament in our Bible and to describe pastors in the New Testament. And so what Paul is saying here is extraordinary. He is saying that our politicians, our government officials, they are no less ministers of God. They are no less servants of God than I am. And may I remind you, men and women, that when Paul is writing this, he doesn't have exactly a model government over him. I mean, the Roman Empire at best was inept. But at worst, it was, it was wicked at times and evil, even perverse. And yet Paul calls those who work for the Roman Empire, he calls them servants of God. And so on one hand, the Bible gives us a very high view of government. But on the other hand, the Bible also makes it clear that governments can, governments do, and indeed governments will go wrong. As I worded it in this first statement, government is an institution susceptible to sinful and even demonic influences. And this is, for example, what we will see at the end of time. 
And one of the questions I get asked a lot these days is a lot of you will ask me, Pastor Chris, do you think we are living in the end times? Do you think we are living in the last of the last days? And quite honestly, I don't know why I get this question so much because I feel like I've made my views on this very, very clear. So let me answer this question once and for all, okay? I want you to write this down. Here's my definitive answer on this question. Are we living in the end times? Here's my answer. Maybe, okay? Maybe. Maybe we are, maybe we aren't. I don't know if we are living in the last of the last days. And by the way, if anyone tells you that they know for certain, they're lying. Because the Bible tells us the only way that we can know that we are living in the last days is when the Antichrist appears. And as far as I can tell, he has not appeared yet. So I don't know if we are living in the last days. But here's what I do know. When we do get to the end times, one of the, the key characteristics of the end times for us Christians is that there is going to be a period of intense persecution for the Christians here on this earth at that time. And the distinguishing characteristic of this persecution is that it is going to be a state-sanctioned, government-sponsored persecution. In other words, the persecution that we Christians will experience at the end of time is not going to come from some rogue citizens who have decided to turn on us. No, it's going to come from the very top. It is going to be government officials, the Bible indicates, that's going to throw us into prison. And sitting behind all of this is going to be the Antichrist, who the Bible suggests is himself going to be a government official. He's going to be perhaps a president, perhaps a prime minister. He's going to be perhaps an elected official who is the embodiment of Satan here on this earth. And so what the Bible tells us is that so much of the evil that we're going to see at the very end of time, it is going to come directly from government. Now, even this is all a part of God's plan, men and women. But I say all that to say that the tension that we feel as Christians towards government, we see it all over the Bible. Because on the one hand, the Bible tells us that God ordained government, and it's God who gives government its power and authority. But on the other hand, the Bible tells us that God, the governments of this earth are capable of immense evil that God himself does not approve of. And not only will we see that at the end of time, but we've also seen that in history. And by the way, our brothers and sisters in countries like China and North Korea, they are seeing that right now. So that's our first point. But that, of course, raises a question, doesn't it? And the question that it raises is if governments are capable of so much evil, then why does God still ordain them? Then why does God want nations to have authority over them? Well, that leads to my second point, and this is another major teaching of Romans 13. My second truth is this. God has ordained government primarily as a means to maintain peace and administer justice within a nation. God has ordained government primarily as a means to maintain peace and administer justice within a nation. Let me explain this one. You know, one of the questions that scholars have asked over the years is, why all of a sudden does Paul decide to talk about government here in the book of Romans? If you read through the, the book of Romans, this, this chapter, it seems a little bit out of place. So why does Paul all of a sudden decide to address this issue? Well, the likely answer is it goes back to what we saw last week at the end of chapter 12. And if you remember Matthew's message from last week, one of the things that Paul tells us at the end of chapter 12 is he tells us that as Christians, we are not to seek revenge. Romans 12, 19, it says this. It says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And so Paul tells us that as Christians, we are not to seek revenge. 
Well, guess what? That verse raises a question. And the question is, how far are we to take this? I mean, is Paul saying here that we can't even have law enforcement? Is Paul saying here that even government can't punish wrongdoers? Is that how far we're supposed to take this? Well, the answer to that question is absolutely not. And that is likely one of the reasons why Paul decides to talk about government here. You see, Paul wants to make it clear that although individually we as Christians are not to seek revenge against those who do wrong to us, that doesn't mean that government can't punish those who do wrong. And in fact, what Paul seems to indicate here is that is the primary reason why God has given the nations of this earth governments over them. This is the point that Paul makes in verses 3 and 4. Look with me there. He says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And really what's going behind this particular passage here, what's going on behind this passage is this. You know, our, our God, men and women, is a God of, of grace and love. Absolutely he is. The Bible makes that clear. But the Bible also makes it clear that our God is a God of order. And he is a God of justice. You see, God loves this world. And he wants this world to thrive. And God knows that this world cannot thrive if it is descended into anarchy and chaos where anybody can do anything that they want and get away with it. So how does God ensure that doesn't happen? Well, God knows the human nature better than anybody. And he knows, especially for those people not transformed by the Holy Spirit, he knows that sometimes the only thing that will keep people in line, sometimes the only thing that will keep people in order is the threat of punishment for wrongdoing. And so going back to the question I asked earlier, with why, with all the wrong that government is capable of, why does God still want nations to have structures of authority? Well, Paul tells us here. Government has been created by God to act as his divine instrument to ensure peace and administer justice in this world. That, according to Romans 13, is the primary reason why God gives us government. And this is a very important point, brothers and sisters, because it speaks directly to something that is going on in our nation right now. You know, one of the recent developments in our nation in the last couple of years has been this call that we have seen from some people in some circles to severely cut back on, or in some cases the call is actually to defund the police, to abolish our law enforcement. Now listen, I know that this is a highly charged issue. And I know that there is probably some complexity in it that I don't understand. But I want to make something clear to you. As people who take the Bible to be the word of God, I believe Romans 13 is very clear on this. We Christians are never to participate in any calls to defund or abolish our law enforcement. We are never to be a part of any movement that would seek to do away with those who are tasked with maintaining peace and order within our communities. In fact, when I think about it, I realize that this is exactly what our enemy would want. This is exactly what Satan would want. Satan loves anarchy, men and women, and he loves chaos. And he would love nothing more than to have this world descend into anarchy and chaos. And that's inevitably what will happen when there's no threat of punishment for wrongdoing. 
I think of what's going on these days in, in the cities that have severely scaled back on law enforcement, like San Francisco, for example, where people are openly doing drugs in the street with no fear of repercussions. I think Satan loves what's going on in those cities. And he wants the whole world to look like that. Well, that's what's going to happen if there's no one to enforce our laws. Now, of course, no institution filled with human beings is going to be perfect. All you have to do is look at God's church to see that, right? But as the proverbial saying goes, we do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need law enforcement. And I want to personally thank the many in our church who are in that profession. Many of you, you put your lives on the line every day. And so thank you for being the servants of God that you are called to be. We need you and we are grateful for you. So no, government is not perfect. But it does serve a vital purpose in God's plan for this world. And that leads to our third truth. And this is our responsibility to government. And our third truth is this, when not in conflict with God's word, our regular response to government is to submit to it as an institution ordained by God. When not in conflict with God's word, our regular response to government is to submit to it as an institution ordained by God. Paul makes this point twice in this passage. Once at the beginning of verse 1, he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And then in verse 5, Paul says this, he says, therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. And you see that word submit there, and the word submit in Greek, it literally means to come under the authority of. And that is how we are to respond to government. We are to live under its authority. And specifically in scripture, there are two ways that we as Christians are called to carry this out. The first way is, quite simply, we are called to be law-abiding citizens. When our government passes a law, as long as that law does not require us to, to go against God's word, and I'll talk about more, more about that in a second, but when our government passes a law, as long as that law does not require us to go against God's word, brothers and sisters, God wants us to obey the laws of our nation. As inane as some of our laws are, and especially here in California, sometimes they're pretty inane, right? Even still, God wants us to be law-abiding citizens. That's first. And then the second way that we carry out this call to submit to government is quite simply, we are told in this passage that as Christians, we need to pay our taxes, okay? God's people need to pay their taxes. And all God's people said, ugh, right? But this is exactly what Paul says, verses 6 and 7. He says, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And what Paul says here makes sense. Since people who work for government, according to Paul, are God's servants, and since they have given their lives to an institution ordained by God, then we are to be willing to support our civil servants financially, and we do so through our taxes. And so that is how we carry out, according to Romans 13, our call to submit to our governmental authorities. And really what Paul says here, men and women, it can be summarized in just one phrase, and that is this. What God wants us to be is he wants us to be good citizens, okay? God wants us to be good citizens of the nations in which we live. I love what Paul says in Titus 3, 1 and 2. We'll put these verses on the screen. This will also be on that handout online. 
But Paul says this, he says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. And I love especially what Paul says in verse 2 when he says that we are to slander no one, we are to be peaceable and considerate. And if I can say it, I think in our day and age, we need a lot more of that, especially when it comes to the political realm. You know, I heard a story the other day that just broke my heart. My kids, they attend Friends Christian School here. And once a week, right here in this room, they have a chapel for first through fourth graders at Friends Christian School. And a couple of weeks ago, they had a chapel where they were celebrating President's Day. And for President's Day, they showed a video on the screen of of pictures of all of our presidents in our United States history. And I was told that when the pictures of President Obama and President Biden appeared on the screen, you know what these first to fourth graders, you know what these six through ten year olds, you know what they did? They all booed. They booed President Biden and they booed President Obama. And that broke my heart because I thought, where in the world are they learning this from? And it's clear where they're learning this from. They're not learning it from watching Tucker Carlson every night, okay? Maybe some of them are, but I don't think a lot of them are. No, they're learning it from us. They're learning it from their parents. And that's not right. Listen, do I agree with everything that our current president does? Of course not. I don't agree with everything that I do. How can I agree with everything that our president does? But my disagreements with our current president does not absolve me of my biblical responsibility to honor him, to not slander him, and to pray for him. That's why, parents, I would encourage you towards something. I know many of you probably sit down at night before dinner with your family and you pray over your meal. I would encourage you to add to your prayer a prayer for our leaders, specifically for our president. And to say something like this, and God, would you please be with our leaders, including President Biden, and please give them the wisdom and the courage to govern according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Not only do I think that will teach our children a valuable lesson, but who knows what God will do with a prayer like that. So we are to be good citizens, men and women. We are to show honor and respect to those in authority over us. But obviously that does not mean that we can do everything that our government asks us to do. And that's my fourth and final truth. And that is this. When government asks or requires us to do something that would violate God's word, and it will, our obligation is to God and not to government. When government asks us or requires us to do something that would violate God's word, and at some point it will, our obligation is to God and not to government. If you are taking any notes, I'd encourage you to write the reference Acts 5.29 next to Romans 13 here. This is an incredible verse. The, The background behind this verse is the apostles have just been told by their governing authorities that they can no longer preach about Jesus. And the response is legendary. This is what it says. It says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. And that is such an important verse for you and me. Listen, men and women, God wants us to be good Christians, and he wants us to be good citizens. And as long as we can be both, that's exactly what we are to do. We are to be both. That's great. That's what God wants us to do. But if ever being a good citizen of our country would require us to not be a good Christian, to go against something that God's word says, then our responsibility is clear. We have to obey God. That's the choice that we have to make. And let me tell you something, I'm not a prophet, 
But I just believe that we need to be prepared to make these choices, even in our own country. And we need to be prepared to take a stand for our beliefs, no matter what the cause. I recently finished a book that, among other things, was about the failure of the church in Germany during the, the, the Hitler's reign and the lead-up to World War II. Every indication is that the church in Germany knew some of the horrible things that were going on, and many of them failed to respond. And that's tragic, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine the millions of lives that would have been saved if the church had stood up for the truth in the way that God calls us to? We can't make the same mistake in our day and age, men and women. We need to be prepared to stand up for the truth no matter what the consequences. But let me also say this, okay? Even how we take a stand requires care. You see, as we live out, as we stand for the truth, we cannot forget our biblical call to love even those who do wrong to us. Two, as we learned last week, to bless even those who persecute us. Because one of the things that we realize is we realize that according to the Bible, those who seek to do harm to us, they are not the enemy. They are captives of the enemy. And the way that we set them free is not by fighting fire with fire or insult with insult, but the way that we set them free is by fighting fire with truth and love and acts of service. So, for example, yes, we absolutely stand up for babies growing in their mother's womb. And we speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. But at the same time we do that, you know what we do? We come alongside the mother who is scared to death of having that child for fear of how she's going to raise him or her. And we offer her the care and the support and the love that she needs. Yes, absolutely, men and women. We defend, even if one day it will get us fined or arrested, we defend the Bible's clear teaching on gender and sex and sexuality. But at the same time we do that, you know what we do? We put our arm around the teenage girl who feels so uncomfortable in her own body. And in love, we teach her that what she's looking for cannot be found in changing her gender as if that's even possible. But instead, we in love, we teach her that what she's looking for can be found only in Jesus and a loving, supportive Christian community, which we then provide for her. And yes, brothers and sisters, we stand up against injustice and oppression and racism in all of its forms. And we speak boldly against any law or any politician that would seek to disparage someone because of the color of their skin, their country of origin, or how much money they have in their bank account. We stand up for what is right no matter what the cost. And we do so in love, blessing everyone around us, including our enemies. And we do so never fearing the implications or the consequences. And that's what I want to leave you with today. You know, as I draw things to a close, men and women, one of the things I have observed in many Christians these days, especially in the political realm, is that there is a fear that a lot of Christians have. There's a fear of what's going to happen in our country. There's a fear of the unknown. There's a fear of what's in store. Now listen, those without Christ, they have a lot to fear, okay? But you and me, what do we have to fear? We are children of the Most High God. We are sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is nothing that we have to fear. And it's when we realize that, it's when we truly comprehend that, that we are set free, set free to live in love and truth, no matter what the consequences. You know, if I can say it, some Christians these days are so worried about how the next election is going to turn out. 
or they're so worried about the next Supreme Court decision, or they're so worried about who's gonna occupy the White House that we've forgotten about, forgotten about the white horse. And some of you know what I'm talking about. That white horse that Jesus is gonna ride in on when he returns to this earth and he sets up his eternal kingdom on this world. And when he does that, men and women, all the things that we were so worried about and so fearful of, none of those things are gonna matter anymore. It's like that old hymn, right? And Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so what? Are you guys alive today? Even so what? It is well with my soul. And that's where we fix our eyes. That's where our hope is found. I'm glad you have a pulse. I wasn't sure earlier in this message. Brothers and sisters, we got nothing to fear, okay? As God's word says, God is for us. Who can be against us? And that's why as we close here today, there's a phrase I want you to, to repeat after me. We'll put it on the screen, okay? The phrase is this, if God is for us, none can be against us. And I want us to declare that together here today. So I want you to repeat after me. We'll take it a, a phrase at a time. If God is for us, none can be against us. Let's try it again. A little bit more oomph this time, okay? If God is for us, none can be against us. Again, if God is for us, none can be against us. Let's say it together, okay, ready? If God is for us, none can be against us. Again, if God is for us,